0: All right. So, um, just as way of reminder, this is week nine. We have, uh, two more weeks to go and then we're going to take a break for the holidays and we'll come back in January and we're going to pick up in chapter 12. So we're going to do the second half of the book in the spring. So we're not done yet. You can tell there's, there's still a lot to go in this book. Um, want to do a review of last week, just real quickly. Uh, John saw or heard the blast of the first four trumpets. So there's seven trumpets. Remember, we're in the time of the tribulation, those seven years. I've had several guys say, well, where do you get the seven years from? Because it doesn't seem to be in the book of Revelation. Well, it actually comes from the book of Daniel. And we're going to look at that next week. But there's seven years. Uh, You can trust me for right now, seven years. And we're in the second half of those seven years. So the second half is three and a half years. And it's called the Great Tribulation. So if you remember that chart that I gave you, we've had uh, the seventh seal has been opened. Uh, We're in the seventh seal. We're at the end of the book that Jesus took from the Father. And we are hearing the blasts of the seven trumpets. We looked at the first four, the first one being the hail and fire mixed with blood that resulted in a third of the earth, a third of the trees, and all of the grass being burned up, and grass meaning wheat or crops, barley, that makes bread. Something like a great mountain was the second blast burning with fire fell to the earth. And as a result, a third of the three, the sea was turned to blood, which resulted in a third of the sea creatures dying. And with the fall of whatever this thing was, it destroyed a third of the shipping. Then we saw with a third blast, a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch and a third of the fresh water was poisoned. And anybody who drank it died because of it. So we've seen already just with these three that it seems like the majority of these things are happening to the earth, uh, the natural part of the earth, the seas, the sea creatures, the water, the trees, the grass. A residual effect is people are dying because if you drink the water, you die. People were on the ships that were destroyed and they died. But it's really an attack on the natural order. Then the fourth blast was the sun and the moon and the stars were struck. And there was this extended period of darkness on the earth. So you you see the first four blasts. They're pretty graphic. They're pretty incredible. But if you remember, it ended with um, a statement about, whoa, 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 whoa. And we'll look at that in a second because it's going to get worse. So chapter nine, verse one says, the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Sounds familiar. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the, f- the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass, grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, which is interesting because if the first four attacked those very things. But with the fifth trumpet, it's different. And it says, only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So this is the fifth trumpet blast. It's the first of the three woes. So, What's going on? Well, obviously, it's, it seems to be getting a little crazier. It seems to be getting worse. He sees the star falling from heaven, or actually fallen from heaven, and that is really important to this passage. It's anything but the sun or the moon, which leaves it wide open. We we don't know what this thing is, but we're going to get a hint as to what the nature of it is, because it's, again, the first of the three woes, the last three trumpets of the seven are the three woes. And this is what it says in 8.13. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase or a word of exclamation, pity, sorrow. Um, I'll paraphrase it for you. Sucks to be you. Okay. That's, that's literally kind of the idea that the word conveys that something worse is coming than the first four. Even though trees were destroyed, all the grass was destroyed, ships were destroyed, sea creatures destroyed, water turned to blood, people drink the fresh water and it's poison and they die, it it gets worse. And that's a theme as we move forward. So is this a literal star? Well, again, let's look at the context. He doesn't say it's something like a star, he says it's a star. Well. There's some clues here that give us an idea of what's happening. First of all, it's the fact that it's already fallen. He's not describing something he's seeing falling. He's not seeing it in the process. It's already fallen. It's in the past tense and that's important. The Greek word is pipto and it means to be cast down. It used to be in a state of prosperity. It used to be in a state of hierarchy a position of power and prominence, and now it's fallen. It's now in a a low place, not where it used to be. And it's in the perfect tense. That means it's already taken place. So John is seeing a star that's fallen, and it's in a low position. It's not in a position where it was at one point. Past action already taken place, and that's important. Well, what else can we tell about this star? Well, the second thing that he says, he describes it as he, he, he gives it a personality. So it's obviously either a human or it's sub, superhuman. It's a angel of some kind. It's a divine being of some kind. And based on the context, it's a divine being. It's, it's not a man, it's something else. And again, as we move through the passage, we begin to get some inferences as to who this is, who he is and what he's doing. Now, again, John's only told us that he sees a star and it's fallen. Well, if you remember, um, Jesus at one point sent out the 70. He sent out his disciples along with some other uh, of his followers. And they came back and they reported him, all the things that they did, that they cast out demons and they healed the sick and they did great things. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, there is, and most of us are familiar with this, there was a point in time in recorded history when Satan, who was an angel of light, he was one of the angels that worshiped God, turned against God. He rebelled against God, and he was cast out from heaven. And here is Jesus telling his disciples, I saw, I personally witnessed Satan fall from heaven. And in a way, he's telling the disciples, you cast out demons? That's great. I was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. So don't, don't get too cocky here. Don't get too flamboyant. Don't think that you've got it all because I saw Satan, the ruler of all demons when he was cast out of heaven. And it's a point in time. It's a, it's a historical point in time that Jesus is referencing and it's an event, but it's not the event that John's seeing in chapter nine. So what is Jesus talking about? You have to go to Isaiah chapter 14. And this is a prophetic passage. And one of the things when you study prophecy, guys, that, that's really important is that there's always a now, not yet aspect of prophecy. There is a recent or a near future fulfillment, and there's a far distant fulfillment. There's a now, it's going to happen soon. And there's a not yet happened aspect that's going to happen way into the future in almost every prophetic case. So in this one, it says, how you have fallen from heaven. It's talking about a real life individual that was going to happen within the lifetime of Isaiah. But it's also talking about something far distant and future. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn how you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Now, that word pit's going to come up again in this passage that we're looking at this morning. There was a point in time where Satan got cocky and Satan got greedy, and Satan decided that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to replace God, and he rebelled against God. And this passage is recording that past event, but it's also got a future aspect to it. There's another aspect that we're going to look at this morning. So Satan and his fellow angels who conspired with him were cast out of heaven. And and so that's one event. It's a true event. It's, a, it's an event that took place. But his casting into Sheol has not yet happened. Satan is not in Sheol. Satan is not in hell. He will be, but he's not right now. Where is he? Well, he walks to and fro on the earth, he's on this earth. He, he, he's not omnipresent. You don't need to worry about seeing Satan behind every bush. He's not omnipresent. That's why he has demons. That's why he has other fallen angels who help him. But he is real. He's a real being. Jesus believed in him. Jesus was tempted by him. But he's on this earth. He's not yet in Sheol. So that passage has a future aspect to it. So what's going on here? Revelation 9:1 is not talking about that event. So when John says, I saw a star fallen... He's not talking about the original fall of Satan. He's talking about something else. So Satan, this may blow some of your minds, but at this point in time, Satan still has access to heaven. Even though he's been cast out of heaven, he still has access to heaven. How do we know that? Well, the story of Job. You ever read the story of Job and go, what in the heck is he doing in heaven? I did when I was a kid because I was always taught he got cast down. Well, how's he in heaven? Well, look at what it says. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking down on it. His main area of emphasis and his dwelling is on the earth. And yet he has access to God. And what does he do? He says, consider your servant Job. What do we know based on scripture? What's one of the characteristics of Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. What's he doing in Job? He's accusing Job of only following God because God keeps blessing him. If you stop blessing him, he'll curse you. And so God says, all right, have at it. Let's let's test this. Let's see. And we find out that he actually was a man who loved God, served God, was faithful to God in spite of all that happened to him. But here you have Satan coming into the presence of God. There is a day coming and not, Revelation 9.1 is talking about the day when that access will be denied, no longer allowed to come into the throne room of God. So that's what we're looking at this morning. There's a battle later on in the book of Revelation, and I know we're gonna jump forward, but I want, I want you to see how all this fits together. There's a battle where he will be cast out from heaven, the presence of God forever. Now war rose in heaven, this is Revelation 12, seven through nine, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, which is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, no more access into heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So what you have in chapter 12 of Revelation is this final throwing down. He's not done rebelling. He's not done trying to usurp God's throne, but he is finally thrown down to earth and he's stuck on earth. Now you can imagine if you're an individual, a being that's driven by pride and arrogance, and now you have no longer any access to the very place you long to rule. What kind of mood are you going to be in? You're hacked and he's stuck on earth. And this is during the tribulation, and he is not happy with this. He is an angry individual. Angrier, it's hard to imagine Satan being angrier than he already is, but he's not happy with his lot in life. So in Revelation 9, we see Satan thrown down, already down, on the earth. No access into God's glory. No way to go into heaven. And it says in verse 2, he's given this key to the bottomless pit and he's given a key. Well, who gave him that key? Obviously it has to be given to him by God. God is in control. God's an authority. And it's important for us to understand that he's given this key by God to do something that God has preordained, that God is allowing to happen, has planned to happen. And what does he do with the key? He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose the smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. So God has preordained this, that Satan is going to open this pit, whatever this pit is, and he's going to release something. So he's given the key by God to the bottomless pit. It, it literally means the pit of the abyss. Okay. This is not hell. This is a different place. It's a holding place for demons. Well, Ken, what is that? Well, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but it seems to be that when Satan was cast out of heaven, some of the demons were put in a place of holding this place by God under lock and key. And the inference is they were the worst of the worst. The worst demons were locked up and kept and are being kept to this day until the day when they're to be released. And so God locked up some, some are not locked up. And we know not all were locked up because Jesus cast out demons. And there are demons alive and well today, whether you realize it, believe in it, they're alive and well and they possess people, they torment people. And so some are locked up though. And Luke records a story of Jesus casting out a demon. And this is a pretty interesting. When he commands them to come out of the individual that are possessing, they cry out to him and they said, let us depart into the pigs, but don't cast us into the abyss. We don't want to go to the place where the others are locked up. So these demons knew of the pit, they knew of the abyss, they knew that their fellow demons, some were locked up there and they don't want to go there. They'd rather be cast into the pigs. And so what does Jesus do? He casts them into the pigs, the pigs run off the cliff and drown themselves. And Jesus wins a whole lot of friends in that neighborhood. right? <laughs> Um, things don 't go well, but you see here this idea that there is a holding place for demons now we don 't think about that we don 't dwell on that. who wants to think about that? But even the demons know that there 's a place where demons are locked up and being held it 's not hell it 's a holding place until something happened, and it 's called this place called the abyss second peter two Peter tells us. If God did not spare angels, rebellious angels, Satan and his minions, when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, and then he goes on, how much worse is it going to be for those who reject Jesus Christ? Well, Ken, you just said they didn't get get cast into hell. Well, they didn't, because this word is not the word for hell. It's the word for Tartarus, and it's a word that means the deepest pit. They didn't get cast into hell. Gonna, there's nobody in hell right now. When people die, their souls don't go to hell. They go to a holding place. They go to what's called Hades. Hell comes after the, the great white throne judgment, as we'll see later on. So what's the, what's the bottom line here? There's, there's this group of demons that are locked away, and God gives Satan the key that keeps them under lock and key. And he says, release them. This is huge if you want to understand this passage, as far as I'm concerned. Because if you don't understand this, if you don't see it this way, you get into squirrelyville. You start trying to figure out what these things are that are coming out of this hole. The bottom line is they're otherworldly, they're supernatural, they're not of this world, they're not made by human hands. They're not humans, and they're not made by humans. Well, Ken, why are you belaboring that point? Because so many people, especially if you go on and you look up any revelation commentaries on the internet, you'll see all kinds of squirrely, wild guesses at what these things are, because they won't admit that they're demonic, well, see, it's hard for us to admit the demonic because we don't understand demons. We, we don't want to even admit that there's demon because it's kind of scary. We just celebrated well, we didn't, but a lot of people on this planet just celebrated Halloween, and you know the whole demonic and devilish and witches and all. It, this stuff is real. It's not make believe. Jesus believed in it. He had to deal with demons. And so these demons are under lock and key. Satan gets to release them. He opens the shaft. And what do we see? Smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened. You know, what, what's going on here? Well, we know, we just read it, that something comes out of this pit. And this, this is a picture, a literal picture, of locusts from the Middle East. Now, see, the imagery that we're here having described here by John are things that were very familiar to him as a first century individual living in this part of the world locusts, horses, scorpions. And they're imagery that he could connect with, that he could understand. He knew the devastation of locusts. Locusts would come into the area and, and devastate it, and they would eat the crops from the top down. And when they left, it, it looked like a moonscape. And so he knew the destructive power, the sheer number, the volumes they are uncountable. He also knew scorpions. They probably had been bitten by one. He, he knew what they could do, the, the pain, the torment they could bring. So he's using imagery that is relatable to him as this first century individual. But he's describing in such a way that it is, it's is—it's the sheer volume and the sheer terror that these things bring as they're released. They come up and they block the sun. There's so many of them. And he says, the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And it says, they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. So they weren't just normal locusts. They're not even locusts to begin with. Okay. These, These are not your normal average everyday run of the mill locusts that look like grasshoppers and eat plants. Because we're told, they're, they're told, don't even eat the grass and the trees and the shrubs. and No, you're going to attack people. That's not normal. That's not natural. See, they're given power, power like scorpions, but they're not allowed to harm the grass, not allowed to harm the green plants or any trees. This is not your normal occurrence. But, but he sees so many of them, they block out the sun. And it tells you the number of these demons that are, that are locked up. We don't have a number. We don't have any idea. But here's the interesting thing is whatever these things are, these demons, they are only allowed to attack the unredeemed. Those who don't have the mark of the lamb and, and God on their forehead. Now, the question that raises is, does that mean everybody else has the mark of the beast? No. No. There have to be people who've refused the mark of the beast but have not yet accepted Christ because people will be coming to faith all throughout the tribulation. The 144,000 are protected by God all throughout the tribulation. They're still witnessing. There will be believers all throughout the tribulation period until Christ returns. But those who don't have the mark of God will be tormented. They don't have the seal. So all the judgments, this judgment in particular, these demons are going to attack the unredeemed. But the 144,000 and everyone who's accepted Christ up until this point in time will be protected. And that ought to remind you of Exodus. Remember the 10 plagues? Well, one of the plagues was hail. And Moses lifted up his staff. God sent thunder and hail and lightning. And it rained down on the earth, but we're told... The only place without hail was the region of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. God protected his own. That's what's going to happen during the tribulation. The 144,000 Jews, the great multitude who are still alive and not yet martyred, will be protected by God. They will not be attacked by these demons, but everybody else will be. And that's important because we're going to see at the end, people will still reject God, even though they're being attacked by demons. What do they look like? I don't have a clue, but they're scary, and they're painful, and it's, it's a tough time to live. And it says that they tormented them for five months, but they can't, they can't kill them. See, God alone controls life and death. These demons are under God's control. They cannot bring death to these people. They can only torment them, even though these people would rather die. That's how bad it is. And this word torment is used over and over again. The torment of a scorpion, the pain of a scorpion, they're going to sting and people will want to die, but they can't even take their own life. That's misery. That's when things get really bad. You long to die, but you can't. Now think about the imagery here. Think about what's going on here. These are people being tormented by demons and they want to die, but they can't. It's a picture of hell. It's a picture of their eternal destination. It's like God's giving them a glimpse of what's to come. It's gonna get worse once Christ returns and the great white throne judgment comes. These demons are real. That word torment is actually torture. They're gonna be tortured. And it's not gonna be a fun time to be alive. And all the while they're being tortured, they're gonna look around and see the 144,000 and the great multitude of believers who've come to faith in Christ and they're walking around scot-free. And you would think they'd go, whatever it is you have, I want. But they don't. We're gonna see in just a second that they continue to reject God. These people, the unredeemed, during the tribulation, the second half, Are rejecting God because the gospel is going around the world, and this is the judgment that God rains down on them. And they would rather die, but they can't. So they get a taste of the future. So, what are they? Well, they're demons. That's what the passage tells us. They're they're reserved, they've been preserved, they are there for a reason, and they're not natural or normal. They're not your everyday run of the mill creatures. And why do I belabor this? Because here's what you find. And I've had some of you guys, you know, both at the West campus and this campus, send me articles, hand me articles written by people on the internet that explain so much of what we're studying. And it, I, I don't fault you, but I, th- some of these people drive me up the proverbial wall. Because they ignore the passage. They're not looking at what the scripture says. And here's one. This is 21st century revelations. If you want to visit it, have fun. But here's what he says. Let me explain what I see. Looking at a military helicopter from a distance and even up close, it looks like a locust. Two or more helicopters such organized are always in a straight line as the same as relating to the horses in 9-7. Now, if you were at a distance up on a higher ground looking down at an angle at a helicopter ready for takeoff with the sun at the same angle on the other side, the sun's light reflecting off the top of the whirling propeller will look like gold in color, which is a reference we'll see in a second to the golden crowns. They're not helicopters. It... it why do we do this? Why do we get obsessed with this? Why do we spend so much time? I read one this week that they're, they're drones in attack formation. They're not drones. They come out of the pit. They're, they're released by Satan. They've been held there by God for this very purpose. Why do we struggle with that? Because it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable because this is the work of God. This is not the work of men. This is not some battle that's taking place on earth between human people. This is not Armageddon. This is the judgment of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the first of the three woes. It's not battle like we've seen before. And what's crazy is that all throughout the centuries, every people group has tried to come up with a contemporary explanation. You know, back centuries ago, well, these are Roman legionnaires. They're, they have breastplates. They have the helmets and they look like their eyes are covered and they look like grasshoppers and they have the plume and it looks like women's hair. And No, you're wrong. They're demons. Inexplicable, unbelievable demons who've been held and are hacked and they're released and they're tormenting mankind. That's what it is. It goes on and explains what they look like. Look at this. Their appearance the appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Wait a minute, I thought they were like scorpions. Yes. They're, they're, they're crazy. On their heads were, looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots. They have tails and stings like scorpions. Their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. Why five months? I don't know. Some some commentators say, well, that's the average lifespan of a scorpion. But they're not scorpions. They're demons. Why five months? Because after five months, it's just a long enough time to let people know this is a horrible way to live. It's not a day. It's not a week. It's five months long months of torment. And yet at the end of the five months, when it stops, they still reject God. God chose five months. I don't know why five months, but it says they have a king over them. The angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek, he's called Apollyon. What is this? Well, the word Abaddon is destruction. They have somebody who rules them. I think it's a reference to Satan. Because we're told in scripture, he is the king and prince, not only of this earth, but over these fallen angels, these demons. Ephesians 2, although you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the domain of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. See, Satan is running things down here. Totally under God's supervision. God only lets him do what God wants him to do, but he is in control and he's controlling these demons. He's called Apollyon in the Greek. It means destroyer. How did Jesus cry, describe Satan? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Satan has opened the pit and out come these demons and their evil incarnate. Their horses prepared for battle. They're wearing victor's crown because they're going to be effective in what they do. They have faces like men. They have hair like a woman. What, what, is this, what is this talking about? They have teeth like a lion's and breastplates of iron. Is that literally what they look like? I don't think so. But it tells us something about the nature of these things. Look at what they probably represent. Everything that mankind puts its hope and trust in are represented in these things. Look at this, man's intelligence, the face of a man. What do we put hope in all the time? You know, here we are at the midterm elections and people are venting a spleen over who's going to be elected. And guys, we should care about who gets elected, but guess what? No matter who gets elected, they're not going to fix this planet. And so we put all our trust in man's intelligence, our own or somebody else's. They have long hair like a woman, woman. What does that represent? Well, the hair of a woman is her glory, but it's also a tool in the scriptures of seduction. There's something about these demons that will even be alluring to, to the people who are tormented by them. They're attractive. Isn't Satan always attractive? Does Satan sell sex by showing you AIDS? No. Does Satan sell sex by selling you, uh, you know, syphilis? No. He sells you the glory of it, not the gore. And that's exactly what this picture is. The battle horse, it's a sign, a symbol of military might. We put our hope in military. We put our hope in power. Teeth like a lion, survival of the fittest. I can, I can weather this. I, can, I just need to be faster and stronger than the other guy. I can outrun him. That's, that's where we put our hope and our trust. How about the victor's crown? We all want to win. And we put so much hope in our success. And then the breastplate of iron, I can protect myself. See, I think all of this is not so much that they need this. It's a picture of what we put our hope and trust in. These demons represent our false worship. Everything we put our hope in besides God. Psalm 27, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Who is being tormented? People who don't have trust in God. How about this, Isaiah 2:22: "Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he, Stop trusting in men." Part of what's gotten these people into trouble is that they put their trust in the Antichrist, a man, and they've taken on the mark of the Antichrist, and they worship the Antichrist. And so here come these demons, and everything about them visually reminds us of false worship. You've rejected God. Well, that's the first woe of the three. And the next one we're going to look at, the last one this morning is the sixth angel blows his trumpet. It's the second woe. And he says, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, the altar of incense before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. What in the world is going on? And who are these four angels? Well, first of all, we know they're bound. And that word means they're bound with chains. I don't think this is Gabriel. I don't think it's Michael. I don't think these are good angels. These are fallen angels that have been bound by God for a day in time and a purpose in time. They have a purpose that God has for them. But they're fallen. They're demonic in nature. They're Agalos, They're angels, messengers of God. But as we've seen before, angels don't always bring good messages and these are not good angels. These are bad angels who are going to bring a really bad message to the earth. Fallen angels. Why the river Euphrates? Because that river, if you go back into Genesis chapter three, ran through Eden. Where did sin begin in Eden? The Euphrates ran through Babylon. It's a primary river in that region. And it's got all connotations. The Tower of Babel was built near the Euphrates. And so they've been reserved at this place, at the river Euphrates, and they're going to come from there when they're released. So the four angels had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year. See, God has a plan. God has a perfect plan. He has a date in mind. And these were released and they kill a third of mankind. Now let's do the math. We know from earlier chapters that a fourth of the earth has already, or the people on earth have already been killed. Now we have a third of the earth that's gonna be killed. I think there's what, seven billion people on earth at this point in time, somewhere around there. Let's take that number. If you take a fourth and a third, that's a little over half, so how many is that? 3.5 billion people are dead. What do you do with that many dead bodies? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Do you bury them? Do you burn them? What do you do with 3.5 billion dead people? Think of the disease. Think of everything that comes along with that. But this is just the beginning. And then it says in verse 16, the number of the Mounted Troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. How many is that? 200 million. 200 million. What are they? Well, he goes on and he says, they're like horses with riders on top of them. Now there are some commentators who think this is a, a group of people made up of men and women and soldiers, and, you know, but once again, I believe based on the context that they're demons. 200 million demons are released by these angels. So we already had the group that came out of the pit, released by Satan, now the four angels are going to bring with them 200 million additional demons who are going to wreak havoc on the earth. Look at the description. It says, I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them, they wore breastplates the color of fire and a sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. How many horses have you seen like that? None. By these three plagues, a third of the mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. So you have this picture of fire and smoke and sulfur. This is demonic activity. This is God unleashing on the world additional demons. And it says the power of the horses and in their mouths and in their tails for their tails were like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. Were they literal horses with serpent tails? No, these are demons. They're demonic and they're wreaking havoc. But look at this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. That ought to just, you know, just blow your brain out. After all that they've seen, there's 3.5 billion dead bodies laying around and they still will not repent. They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stuff. Look at that. They did not give up worshiping demons. The very things that are tormenting them, they're still worshiping. And you go, well, Kim, nobody worships demons. Everything you set up as a God that is not God is demonic. Well, no. No, that's not true. Yes, it is true. The scriptures tell us it's true, that when we worship idols, we worship demons because demons come alongside us and say, you want this thing to do something for you? Okay, I'll help it do something for you. And they give it godlike powers. Well, you say, well, Ken, we don't worship demons. I don't have an idol in my house. Yes, you do. Just like I do. You worship your TV, you worship your golf clubs, you worship your bass boat, you worship your car, you worship your success, your portfolio, you worship anything you set up that you put more trust in than you do God is an idol. And it is demonic. It can be demonic. Because what does it say? They continue to worship the very things they're being attacked for worshiping. Their wealth, their health, their prosperity, their gold, their silver, their idols. Those things which cannot see or hear. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. They kept on sinning. See, that's what blows me away about this whole passage is that all of this comes on them, released by God from the pit, demonic, and they still will not repent. It tells you a whole lot about the stubbornness of men. Five months of demonic torment, the escape of death being prevented. You can't even kill yourself. The presence of all these catastrophic things and a third of the earth is wiped out by God, and they still pursue what? Idolatry, murder, witchcraft, sexual immorality, and theft. Talk about stupidity. Talk about stubbornness. So what do you get to talk about this morning after this wonderful picture? Remember, you're not there unless you're not in Christ. You could be. Here's your first question. Take some time to discuss your personal reactions to all that's just been described and be brutally honest. This, this really depresses me. This, this really scares me. This, I worry about my lost friends. However it impacts you, share it. Maybe I don't even believe it. Be honest. What's your honest response to all that John's described? Then I want somebody to read Jeremiah 18, 11 through 12. What does this passage reveal about? The stubbornness of us, mankind. And then finally, how does it make you feel to hear that God is going to use demonic forces to bring judgment on the earth? Why should we not consider this to be unrighteous on his part? Isn't it a little weird to think God's going to release demons on earth? But think about that. He used Nebuchadnezzar. He used the Assyrians. He used Pharaoh. See, all through the centuries, God has used pagans, unbelievers to punish the people of this earth. Why not here? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for their attentiveness. I pray that you would bless the time around the tables. And Father, may we walk away from here not intimidated by this passage, not depressed by it, but but fully understand that, that we serve a holy, righteous God who's in complete control and he is going to bring judgment to this world. And may we care about those that we know who don't know Christ. And may we do everything in our power to share with them the good news of Jesus while there is time. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.